Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Dyslexia Mom Boss Podcast, the show that helps you not only feel empowered and knowledgeable, but confident and a boss mom in the dyslexia journey. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren. For all my teachers and parents that are tuning into this podcast, I want to let you know that I have a parent and a teacher community. Now, I am all about bringing awareness and support and a network system for all of you to feel like you can boss up in the D-Cube journey. So I'm here to let you know that I have memberships for my parents and for my teachers because I truly believe that together we can change the narrative. If you're interested in joining these membership programs, I invite you to click the link in the bio. There are three levels. There is $10 a month, $15 a month, and $25 a month. Now, in these communities, you get to network. You have a community of people that are in the same space with you who are fighting for the same cause. Depending on your membership level, you get access to me with weekly live Q&A and monthly webinars. So if this is something that interests you, please be sure to click the link in the bio to apply to these communities. And I look forward to seeing you there. Hey, Natalie, it is so good to see you and reconnect with you. you know, I know you're a former client, so I'm so excited to have you here. And those of you who are new to the podcast, um, and maybe this is your first episode, I want you to know that this is the series where I interview moms to share their stories. So Natalie, do you want to give a quick little intro as to who you are in the context of dyslexia and anything else you want to share before we dive right into these questions? Yeah, so I am a high school teacher. I was... I. I would say I identify with my oldest because I identified um, I was around 37, 38 when my son was in second grade. Both of my kids are dyslexic uh, and kind of like when I discovered that my son was dyslexic and I was like I looked back at like my whole family and realized too that it it ran like on both sides so my dad and my mom's um, and so yeah so this this journey of figuring out <laughs> how to help my kids because my daughter is as well she's younger than my son I have two kids and they are both dyslexic and uh, and now too like as an educator I teach high school so I am trying to also help my students in class I I notice a lot more now um, right peers again would have been labeled as lazy or what you know like not trying or slow uh, now I'm recognizing more and more as a learning difference Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. No, I really appreciate that context. And those of you who are listening, you know, this is not uncommon that there are parents out there who maybe weren't diagnosed. And when their kids get diagnosed, that's that aha moment. And then also you as an educator, you have that vantage point of being like what you just said, you know, maybe this child is undiagnosed or maybe they are. But now I have ideas of how I can support them, because by the time they get to you, it depends on when they were diagnosed, their confidence could right. really be like not so good. So, you know, I think if anything, any any kid that gets you that's dyslexic, it's it's like a gift because you understand their struggles as a mom and also yes. as an adult with dyslexia. Right. So let's dive right into our questions. So I know sometimes it's hard to summarize a whole journey with one word, <laughs> but I just love to like kind of make it that concise because sometimes when we hear a word, it, it either triggers us or gives us positive feelings or whatever it is. But what is the one word that you could use to summarize your D-cubed journey with your kids and why? Oh, gosh. One word only? <laughs> you can do a phrase if you'd like to. But I mean, I know like the word. Like uh, for me, I would I would say like, eye-opening because um, it, it really it's, it solved a problem like that. I knew I had all my life and my brother, my older brother is too. And, um, and just like, yeah, like this, this missing piece of this puzzle of like, why am I so slow? Like, why can't I learn right. like everyone else? Right. Why do I have to study four hours a day to get, you know, when I was in college and, and just, um, and so like once I realized that, and then also like the advantages, like I, I love, being dyslexic as a teacher because I empathize so much with my students. Right. And especially like, you know, when I tell them, um, you know, like, oh, I don't, you know, they tell me, I think they, they feel comfortable talking to me because I share my dyslexia with them. Oh, that's good. Share, and yeah, and I share my mental health issues too with them, you know, I have right. anxiety, like all those things. So they know, like, you know, it's, it's like this, it's okay if you're, quote, not like everyone else. Right. So when, they struggle with something I've heard from students before saying this you're so good at breaking it down and, and simplifying it and I'm like yeah I think that's one of my dyslexic advantages because if, if I can't break it down simply then I can't like I can't make sense of it it won't stick in my brain <laughs> right right it's that chunking I mean you're you're doing yeah. your own accommodations and you don't you probably don't even think about that as an accommodation for your kids versus other teachers who aren't dyslexic or don't understand dyslexia, or I should say the D cubes, the dyslexia, dyscraphia, and dyscalculia, they are like, what is this accommodation I'm supposed to do? You know, and it's just like, that's not, that's not helpful because then that leads to frustrations. But I love, okay, so yeah, we were touching on the D cubes and I was just saying, I think that that is um, great because you don't have to stop and think about those accommodations. And I think other teachers do. They have to go back and look at the IEP or they have to go back and look at the 504 and be like, what am I supposed to do? So that leads me to my next question. What is your story with getting your kids diagnosed? Was Did you find that it was an easy process? Um, I know you said it was eye-opening, but, like, what was that journey like for you? Uh, it actually, I was up to call the teacher that uh, identified my my son. Um, can I say her name? <laughs> it, it's whatever you're comfortable with, sure. Because <laughs> I just love her. Her name was Mrs. Poirier, and she still teaches. Um, shout shout outs, shout outs. <laughs> Um, 
had actually recently been to a what is it a like a conference for teachers of identifying dyslexic kids right in your class and she had like a little booklet I guess that, that she came home you know or back from to work with and she wanted to see you know she mentioned dyslexic like what do you mean like what is, what is that you know like right backwards, you know like everyone's saying right right she had said you know does it make sense because we were she was such she's such an amazing teacher like she and I would talk all the time and um, she ended up telling me like okay you're reading to him every night you read to him since he was in your you know your womb and and I do one-on-one with him and he's doing all these you know all these things and and yet he's still not reading and this is the second grade like you know he's not recognizing simple uh Backwards, you know, yeah. Uh, what he read I for A, you know, whatever. So, and then, so she's like, so when she mentioned dyslexia, kind of like, okay, well, let me look into that. She did her part, you know, and she gave him like a little screening. And then when like we tried to meet with, you know, the like the IEP team, you know, the principal, what have you, it was kind of like wait and see. Of course. And uh, she like gave me her number her personal you know, cell phone number wow and she was just like call me like when we would leave the room right after when we were out of earshot from the admin team and she's just like call me and then you know she said no they're wrong there's no way that your son is just behind when you work so hard with him and i work so hard with him and he works so, so hard, hard right right and I, and I remember um yeah like once uh luckily at two my old neighbor she had a child with a learning difference. I used to babysit her kids and her daughter had a learning difference. And so she's like a big IEP advocate. Like she will go anywhere, anybody who, who needs help in the special ed world. And cause I was like, who can I call? And I think again, right. that's like one of those strengths where like, who can help me with my problem that I cannot solve? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Rhonda Kimball and uh, Dr. Rhonda Kimball. And so she had her, she has her ed doc. So like she, uh, I called her, she's like, oh, no, we're going to get on this. And, like, she just helped me to, like, advocate what my rights were. And she's like, no, you need to write a letter. Because once you legally write that letter, they have to test it. Mm-hmm. And so I put it in writing. And then the next meeting, they're like, okay, so we're testing him. And, like, <laughs> and, my, and my um son's teacher, Mrs. Corriere, was like, yes, you know, because she had even said, like, we don't identify dyslexia because that's what – teachers are told right right you know that oh we don't we don't do that that's the doctor but i had gone to the doctor the doctor said no the school does it yeah and and also too so natalie i just want to interrupt you for a quick second so so natalie's based out of california and i know that there are dyslexia um laws in california and your governor is dyslexic and i don't know what where the movements are with that in terms of screenings and all of that but i mean it's just it's to me it's just fascinating how it's like I don't want to say every school, but that this is a story that I've heard so many times where the admin says, no, it's not this, or teachers just can't say it. And I love that this teacher was like, call me, you know, like something's not right. And that's truly a real educator. Like I'm in this to inspire and make a difference, not just to, you know, go with the flow, have summers off, you know, all of that. So I just had to interject and say, you know, any other listeners out there, you're in California. So if you're in California and you're like, wait, 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 like that's what's going on out there too. Right. And I've told parents myself at my school where I'm like, you can Google like, you know, the format of what to write 
they legally have to test your child. Right. And, and I tell parents, I'm like, they're not going to call it dyslexia because a lot of them have been in the system so long that they're, they're going to say we don't test for dyslexia, but they haven't even been informed of how the law has changed, how they can say right. dyslexia now. Right. You know? um, so, yeah, so once they tested my son, you know, they realized, oh, yeah, like, it's so funny because also I was reading books at the same time and I'm like, it just like, like nine out of 10 of those things my son is like, you know, right. just like you feel like they're reading your son, like, you know, watching you. Yeah. <laughs> your story, your kid's story. And so, yeah, with my son, uh, you know, he was finally identified and it was, you know, again, like one of those where, you know, his processing was super on the low end, but then uh, his, his, uh, what is it, like, uh, Lego building system, what am I thinking of the word? Uh, Are you talking about, like, so his processing was slow, but then his letter recognition, word sound recognition, his RAN, like, his uh, rapid automaticity? Uh, his, his, like, kinesthetic abilities. Oh. Oh, spatial thinking. Okay, spatial, yes, yes, yes. His spatial thinking was, like, almost off the chart. Right. Like, well, how dyslexic is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's so good at, you know, building things and, and seeing things, you know, like, spatially, and so anyways... Um, so like, yeah, once he was identified and then I realized, you know, like I am too. And then like, it, it just brought a lot of emotions because my brother, like I said, is dyslexic and he never graduated high school. Okay. Um, and that always, again, is like a sore, like kind of subject because, you know, you look back in the eighties when we were in school and elementary and they see a brown kid, uh, a boy. <laughs> yeah. And they think, oh, he's just stupid because he's Mexican. <laughs> right. No, you're absolutely so, right. Or the, you know, like, you just, I just internally, I don't know what he is. <laughs> but it's like, you know, like, you know, like, back then, when we were in school, we were, you know, like, for a while we were private. And then we were, we went to public. But it's still, like, we were, it's kind of hard now when you think about California. But, like, we were, like, still, pre- like, you know, relative minority. Maybe 50% of the class, not like we are, like, now, which is, like, 90. Right, like, right. But, like, you know it's like it, the way the teachers treated him and like that always sticks with me as an educator because uh, it happened to my grandpa too wow but like yeah but it's like it, is it like this subconscious of like again like what, what people perceive because they don't know us that they don't value education that's why this kid is slow right another, another mexican kid who, who can't read or write because his parents are busy doing their job right um, right because, i mean he literally was stupid by his teachers you mm. know like and i mean to the point where like when he was i mean this started like in kindergarten where like he cried before he went to school he didn't want to go to kindergarten and i'm like you know that's like the beginning yeah. <laughs> you know like yeah was, like his whole education and i remember reading too about like for boys it's so important the first two to two years of school is so important to set the foundation for the rest of how other lives in education and so yeah i was felt like that that kind of almost you know as much as my parents tried and there were other issues going on but my parents really tried especially my mom and she tried getting him tested and back in the 80s they were like "Ah, no there's nothing wrong with him he just needs to try harder you know and so that didn't work and then he ended up dropping out and you know that's again like something like when I when I found out with my own son that um you know like it kind of like like I said, with Mrs. Corriere, it just kind of brought everything yeah. to, like, there's nothing wrong with this. And I never even internalized it in that in college. Like, you know, like, you 
go. I went to UC Santa Barbara, and uh, this is for all the back here. <laughs> so I went to UC Santa Barbara, and uh, kids, you know, and my I majored in biology, and I just remember thinking, like, oh my gosh, these kids are so smart. Right. Like, and it's because I'm Mexican. Like, I used to think that. Like, yeah. Subconsciously, like actually, consciously, consciously. Right. <laughs> right. I was, like, I'm just not as smart as them because I'm not white. Like their parents taught them better than mine did. Because wow. Have different yeah, yeah, and I think I think honestly, Natalie, you're hitting on so many points that those of you who are listening now you know that Natalie is Mexican, and you know those of you who are watching, you can see. But I mean, and those of you who listen to my podcast, I assume you know that I'm black. So I mean, we are two women of color, and we internalize things a lot differently than our white counterparts. And I think that, um, you know, it is really heartbreaking to hear about your brother and how he's six, five, six years old, you know, already internalizing he's stupid because of the color of his skin, because he's Mexican, because he's not trying hard. And, you know, I think that, um, unfortunately, our world is still like that. And, you know, this actually leads me to my next question. Um, you know, what what is the ethnicity of your children? And do you feel like, given your experiences and your brother's experiences, do you, uh, yeah, do yeah, you feel like, kids, you know when it's different because they look white? Yeah. So they're biracial. <laughs> right. Because they're biracial. And I always tease, you know, kind of like, oh my, you know, my students, because when they see my, my kids, they're like, and I'm like, meiosis is real. Maybe that's how we, you know make our sperm and egg and whatever. Like, right, you right. You get what you get. And my kids, right. I always thought would come out looking like me because I'm darker. Right. And so, you know, dominant genes, but my kids ended up coming out pretty fair. And so, um, for them, it's different. And I feel too, like people, again, are a little bit more culturally aware. Mm-hmm. Um, so like this, there's not, like I said, my, the teachers we had back in the eighties were older for sure like they were you know maybe like 10 years up before retirement so they had you know they had different i guess life experiences with minorities right Um, right different biases you know different um uh discrimination thoughts and feelings around what a mexican should be or do or think or whatever yeah right and then um yeah so now i think and because the school is smaller uh like with my kids and i'm they know me in a sense like you know I I'm involved in the sense of you know like I show up to school events and stuff I don't not like PTA but (laughs) but you know what I mean like I'm there and then they see again that like you know my husband and I come to the parent-teacher conferences you know we call you're involved yeah you know what I mean like all those things like they see us involved so I feel like with my own kids um it's just different. It's different, it's, yeah. Yeah, and they know that, and the, and the teachers know that I'm a teacher, too. I think that's Right, that makes a huge difference. Yeah, it really does, right. because, you know, um, I have two daughters, and my oldest, she's white, and my um, youngest daughter, she's biracial, and my husband and I are both, you know, educators. Well, now I'm an entrepreneur, but, you know, we're both, <laughs> you know, educators, and so it's like we're always hands-on, and, and I think with my younger daughter, sometimes they might not think that that's her dad because she looks, I mean, she's a little bit lighter than me, but she looks like a black kid. And so it's like, I do agree with you. I think that it makes a difference when you see the parents involved because then teachers, I mean, 
we, we've been there before where we're frustrated. Maybe we email or call and the parents aren't responding and we're like, maybe they're just not involved and we can't assume because we don't know what's right. going on at home. And so I think that right. it's easier for parent, um, for teachers to say, oh, well, I've seen this parent here many times or they show up to parent-teacher conferences or they're very involved in asking about homework or whatever yes. it is that depending on your community, like where I live in Howard County, Maryland, it's very diverse. There is a huge Korean population, Indian population, African po- I mean, it's like, yeah, there are white people here. But I mean, it's like back when I grew up here, there were way more white people. And now it's just right. more diverse. So it's not uncommon for you to see a biracial kid. But I know that's right. not always the case in America. You know, I mean, I can only speak as an American. I know obviously all over the world there's racism and all of that. But here in America, I mean, I just think there's certain hubs and places that were like, oh, that's probably a more cultured area than certain places in maybe middle America. So I just love hearing your story and your brother's story but then bringing it what 30 plus years later to your kids and it's a different journey you know it really truly is and I think a lot of it is I always say like when we know more we do better and you know my slogan together we can change the narrative so I just feel like you being an educator yourself and and having your advantages you know what your kids need and and I just remember when you were in my coaching program, like there were a lot of aha moments for you, even though you're like, I've been in this, but I didn't think of it this way or I didn't realize these other comorbid disabilities or whatever the case is. So, yeah, I think um, I think that thank you so much for sharing and being vulnerable about, you know, your your brother's story, because that's a lot of people right. of color stories, you know, and it's just right. we don't talk right. about it. Right. And I think, again, like. To me, like I said, trying to help because where I teach is actually the community I grew up in. Like it's the same city, okay. Um, Different district, but same city. And I had cousins who I like actually a lot. (laughs) But I, you know, they have they have my mom herself graduated and my uncles graduated from the same. Oh wow! Wow! Yeah. So history. My uncles were mistreated, um, and I always find that again, like to do right by all of my family because. Um, even like my uncle at one point was there. I believe are both. I mean, I know they are. Just like six too. Yeah. And, uh, one of my uncles, when he was in school, had been smacked in the head uh, by a teacher. And I know my grandma. That whole bit of <laughs> yeah, and that was a different time period where they could oh, do yeah. corporal punishment. <laughs> and especially as Mexicans, it's, it's very cultural. Like teacher does what teacher does. Yeah. And, and you respect that. Yeah. But my grandma. Um, but she was born here too. She was, and, uh, but she she went to the teacher and she said, "Don't you ever lay your hands on my kid again?" And, yeah. And you know, like, and I was thinking like that. It, what we say it takes levels, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, guts to say something like that um, because, gosh, you know, like I just and, and now again, like I said, like where I I teach in that same district, and I feel like the district has come so, so far. far. Well, that's good. Like, that's really yeah. good. It's it's really like because we have a lot of white and Latino teachers yeah. who have grown up in the area, so like they don't have I feel like those preconceived notions right. of, of who Latinos are. Right, and, right. Um, and because they have friends yeah. know, that are the same race. So I feel like my that is amazing, you know, that the district has gone from that to now where we're at. Um, and I love teaching at the school and teaching it. And like I said, I just feel like 
when I see my own students, like I, I want them to feel cared about and loved because that didn't always happen. Yeah. Uh, in my own family, and uh, and I want to give them again like the best education I can as their teacher. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. So, Natalie, we are coming to the end of the interview, but I want to leave off with one final question. So what advice can you give other moms in this journey to, like, really level up and boss up to feel empowered in their D-Cube journey? Um, definitely find advocates yeah. in your community. Like I said, I was lucky because mine happened to be the woman who I used to babysit her kids. Right, right. You know? And, I mean, she's made – Dr. Kimball made all the difference and um, – and, yeah, definitely knowing your rights. Like I said, if you're in California, you know, you legally can put it in writing. They, they have a certain number of days to test your kid um, and to keep educating yourself and to keep involved, you know, with your kid's education. Don't expect the school, like, once they identify them to be like, okay, we got it from here. Right. Like it, it takes both. If you want your kid, again, to be successful, it takes both the school doing their part and you doing your part right and right times it's going to feel a lot because your kid does learn different right but but you, I definitely see it now that my kids are 13 and soon to be 11 and oh my gosh like what a difference from where they started it and their self-esteem everything yeah yeah no I appreciate that um that advice a lot and it actually kind of touches on some previous episodes I've recorded about just uh five things to know to walk into an IEP meeting and how to educate the educator and partner with the schools and all of those things that when you either get that diagnosis or you're you're speculating that diagnosis more than often your emotions take over you don't really you're not thinking in your logic brain and you're just like oh my god who do I go to who do I talk to where do I go what do I do what do I and and you feel very frustrated and I know that I've seen that's where parents can become very adversarial with schools because you're expecting the schools to to do their job and I think that's exactly why I think dyslexia exists and why this podcast is here because it's just like we need to continue to keep talking about the big elephant in the room to hopefully move the needle so anyway Natalie it was so good to connect with you and hear your story um I love doing these interviews um but yeah thank you so much for your time and we'll have to you know do it again sometime maybe a part two and share your story if you're if you're interested Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.